Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Kick the tires and light the fires, Big Daddy. The matchups, the superstars, the games. Starting defense, place at the table. This is Football Sunday on The Fan, a comprehensive look at today's National Football League action with your hosts, Mike Lynch and Rashad Taylor. You all know what you have to do. Remember, no one, and I mean no one, comes into our house and pushes us around. This is Football Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. Oh, boy. We are here on the final Football Sunday of the year. It's a, it's a pretty big sports day today, right? Yeah, I would say so. I yeah. think there's a game that's important. Right? Maybe. I've never heard of it. No, yeah, I know. What is it called? The the big the big game. Big game. Superfest. This <laughs> Superfest. <laughs> the super big festival game of of balls with with foot. Ball. I like it. Ball foot. It's a long name. It's very long. What if name. it what it really was called that? It's very <laughs> unmarketable. Uh yeah. What would it would be a weird acronym too? Yes. S B G of B. I said of. That's not the letter. O B O F B. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't like it. <laughs> it's that. I like Superfest. Fifty-four. <laughs> I like Superfest. Yeah. Superfest. Change great. the name to that. I like that a lot. Um, so this is our final football Sunday of the year, as we will transition to Sports Sunday starting next week uh, because the football season will be over. Uh, but that doesn't mean we don't have some football to talk about today, as we will be d- diving into plenty of the Chiefs Niners Super Bowl coming up at three thirty on Fox this afternoon. Um, I, I we usually kind of BS a little bit in the first segment, just talk about random stuff, uh, and I wanted to give Rashad an opportunity to talk about Kobe before we dive into the Super Bowl, and I want to talk a little damn too because he's been absolutely insane the last week, but. Um, the news broke for us last week within an hour of our show ending. We had both gotten home and um, Rashad never calls me ever unless he needs to be let into the building when he's here to do his show, which is every Sunday. Yes, because you don't have a fob. Um, the uh, I sat I'd seen the news and I sat down on my couch and I like flipped on ESPN and Rashad called me and I was like, oh, my God, like you never call at all. And I was like, oh, that's right. He was the biggest Kobe fan. Like, I knew that Kobe was your guy, 100%. So I wanted to give you a chance because you haven't had a chance to talk about it yet. Um, I've had all week we've talked about Kobe, but I just wanted to kind of open the floor for you to talk about why Kobe was your favorite player, you know, react to the news, whatever you wanted to say. I just wanted to kind of open the floor for you because I felt like it'd be good good therapeutic. Plus, I figured oh, you'd want to talk about that's it. That's cool. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. Um, so I'll be real, man. Sunday and Monday were tough. Sunday and Monday were tough. It was almost like... And this sounds weird, but I guess as I, as I look at the reaction worldwide, not as really, not really, but it almost seemed about like I lost a member of the family in a way. Like um, 36 years old, 
I really, really started paying attention to basketball and sports uh, when I was in middle school, really diving in, looking at stats and players and, you know, kind of, you know, all that stuff. And um, when I was in eighth grade, my younger brother passed away. And uh, that was the same year that, man, Kobe was drafted and playing for the Lakers and stuff like that. So I'm really looking for something to latch on to, you know, as far. And so really it became football and basketball for me. And I saw this kid in the in the rookie game and went off for like 41 points in the rookie game. But Iverson ended up winning MVP. And then later that night, he came out and won the dunk contest. And I was like, that's my guy. He's he's super, super cold to me. And when you're young, and some of our older listeners will understand this, man, um, you you idolize certain guys, whether it's Kobe or Jordan or Tiger or whatever the case is, man, people that you just want to emulate and be like and walk and talk like, hopefully play like and stuff like that. And uh, I modeled a lot of my life, my young life after Kobe. Like I, I cut my hair like him. I had the fro. I, I, every, everything I do, every password that I have for everything I do have, has the number eight in it. My jersey numbers through high school and college were number eight. My son's jersey, well, he's born in August, but his jersey numbers are typically number eight and stuff like that. It's just kind of one of those things, man. I had posters on my wall. I had shoes. I had jerseys. I did all those things. I'll never have that feeling again for anybody. Like, I'll never wear another man's name on my back like as a jersey if I'm not going to, like, a sporting event and stuff like that. I'll never have another favorite player to where I really – look at and idolize and want to be like and all these things. My family, huge L.A. fans. They're all from Compton, California. So when they move here to Portland, like, the Lakers were still number one to them. Like, and it's like I've seen Kobe for more, more time than I've been alive. Or then, excuse me. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, for since I started watching basketball at 13, I'm 36 now. Since 13, I've, I've known who this guy was and, you know, in some ways kind of emulated him. So it was, it was really sad to – see that happen I was I was shook I didn't I didn't know what to say what to think and then you know of course calling my mom you know and she was just she was just in pieces again I'm a Kobe fan not necessarily a Laker fan and he's the one guy that we can honestly say like he has a legion of fans that have nothing to do with the Lakers like well, you could probably say LeBron you know, LeBron well, LeBron, yeah. LeBron is the closest thing that not even the closest thing LeBron is the only other person that has a following like that. Wherever I, wherever you go, I go. You play for the Heat, guess what? Heat fan now. You go back to Cleveland, I'm going back to Cleveland too. Kobe was the guy, people would argue his greatness to the death. You never had to do that with Kobe because he was a Lakers. You know, it, was, it never had to do that with him. But as far as his spot, as far in the, in the pantheon of greatness, you always had to do that. Kobe's a big reason why I'm able to do sports radio. You know, it was those arguments with my friends as a sophomore and junior in high school about why he was great. That kind of helped me, you know, form a personality and, and and learn how to really debate and have facts. All man, it just it just hit me in so many different ways. And as a father, like as a dad, like my son came home and I just hugged him really tight and I told him I loved him and I you know kissed him on his on his forehead and just because I can only imagine what you know his wife and the rest of those girls are going through the rest of his family, the rest of those families, you know, and that was a day that the news just got worse and worse and worse. And it just, well, it, got it never worse. got better. It got worse to the point where it was wrong. And then I won't say it got better, but it was a relief to find out that it wasn't his entire family on the helicopter. No, no. Um, but, but then you go from it's four families and yeah. then you find out or four, excuse me, four or five people. And then, well, it's not five, it's nine. It's like, Oh, nine. Like, it, it was just, it, it was something that's, and then you find out about all the babies that are on the plane, all those kids, and it was just, it broke me. And so it, it just made me really put things in, into perspective, you know, for me, like any of those people that I might have 
you know, had an issue with, especially close friends and close family. So, man, just let it go. Like, I mean, because you never, you never know. Kobe's taken this helicopter for years and, you know, is landing on top of the Staples Center to go to games and fly out of games and with his family. For years he's done that. It's the, the one time it just, you know, it didn't go the way that, that they expected to go, even with the wind conditions and stuff like that. So, you know, it was, it, was, it was really hard as a basketball fan, as a sports fan. Like, everybody felt it. Like, this was, this was losing, you know what I'm saying, like a, a, a great figure in, in, in the world. And it's just, you know, it, it sucked, man. And, again, you talk about the controversy of Kobe, and, it's, you know, you can't talk about him and not mention the controversy and the, the, the rape allegations and all those things. It's impossible. We always to, say it's – or we've been saying it's a complicated legacy for Kobe. Um, but – you know, it's it's he, a, he had he had done things to try to repair that image as well. You know, he had become an advocate for women. I think having daughters helped him do I, that and quite, I think quite it, a bit. And, and I think um, it humbled him. Yeah, well, of course, I would hope so. I mean, I think that would humble anybody. But, you know, he, he became a guy who practiced what he preached after that point. You know, he became a, a, a an even more fierce competitor. And when he left the game, he was an advocate for the game and he stayed around the game and he helped players and he was a contact for people and. I mean, watching the NBA games over the last week, all the players who had basically said, like, I talked to Kobe a couple of weeks ago, like he would be there for players. And I thought that was really, really uh, important for the league. It's a complete 180 from the Kobe that we grew up with. Yeah. The guy that was aloof and the guy that wasn't the, the, the biggest team, you know, player as far as wanting to be around guys and having his group of guys. And, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, right around 2008, 2009, you could start seeing that, he became big homie. He became a mentor to these guys. And even he started holding his own camps. And all the guys and all the young guys in the league and all the veterans, they start coming out and supporting and being a part. Because who doesn't want to learn from arguably the greatest scorer and one of the greatest players of all time? And nine times uh, second team, all, uh, uh, second, or excuse me, nine times first team all defense. Only two other players have, only two players have done that. Kobe and I can't remember the, uh, the other person. I think it might have been Jordan. And then, you know, 11 times all offense, you know, it's tied for first place. Like Kobe is the most complete basketball player that we've ever, that I think we've ever seen. Like offensively, defensively, could shoot, could could jump, could make, could create his own shot, could shoot free throws, was mentally tough, physically tough. Like, I don't know if we've ever seen a player with every one of those tools. You know what I mean? The, the mental part, as far as, you know, knowing he could take the big shot, whether he makes it makes it or, you know, misses it terribly, you know that you know where the ball's going. You know he's going to pull up for that shot. And I just don't know if you're going to see a guy with all those tools. Like, there'll never be another Michael Jordan. Never, ever, ever. Like, I mean, he was just too great and made it look so easy while he was doing it. Jordan looked like he did everything at half speed, and it was just, like, floating through the air. There'll never, ever be another Kobe Bryant. And it's, it's kind of – it's unfortunate that it, that happened and – you know, you pray for his family and, you know, pray for his girls and pray for all the families that were involved and, you know, pray for all the people that were affected. Because if you look at the Staples Center right now, man, you can tell the love that Kobe, you know, got in that city well, and just throughout the world. So well, it sucks. Well, let's get to a little bit of that next. And, and trust us, the Super Bowl's coming up in the 930 segment. We got a lot of stuff to talk about with that. We'll have Hater to Love it coming up in the 10 o'clock segment as well. If you want to text us, the fan text line is 55305. And that's how you can interact with us throughout the show. Um, but Friday was the Lakers-Blazers game. It was the first game at Staples Center. And, um, A, the the moment was great. Yes, it was. B, Damian Lillard was great again. And uh, I want to parlay it. We'll talk about that, but I want to parlay that also into the way Dame's been playing for the next segment. 
let's 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 face it right now that's the biggest news in the city is Damian Lillard is playing at a level we have not seen since well maybe Kobe and James Harden as well although in a he's doing it in a much prettier way than James Harden does it uh so we'll get to that and then we'll dive into the Super Bowl afterwards this is football Sunday on the fan Weekends were made for sports. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. Fan text line 55305. Blazer fan all my life and always love seeing Kobe lose, but you are the, uh, you're right. The pictures of him and his daughter and you don't need to be a sports fan or a Kobe fan. You just need to be a human being for it to break your heart. Yeah. I, I teared up multiple times that day. Uh, and frankly, I teared up on Friday. Oh, when, man. Uh, the, the Blazers went down to L.A. and played the Lakers in their first game since since the, the passing of Kobe. And the six-and-a-half-minute tribute that they played, that was basically just Kobe talking the entire time. It was almost like a motivational thing from him for six minutes. And they had the guy playing the cello. And it was, I mean, it was emotional. Uh, LeBron came out and uh, did the I'm not going to read from the script speech. And it was good. Uh, I really impressed that he was able to go up there and keep it together because he was super emotional during the national anthem and and during the the not the ceremony the um the the video and he came up and stayed strong and, and made a great speech and it was uh it was it was really powerful to watch and i sat there and i went how on earth are these two teams supposed to play this game now because you, you you just spent i mean the game was supposed to start at seven it didn't start till like 7:55 because they had a really long uh memoriam for him, I suppose. I don't I don't know what word you want to use, but uh I don't want I keep wanting to say ceremony, which I guess, you know, LeBron said this is a celebration today. So I mean, if you want to say that, sure. Um I, I was like I don't know how they're going to play and it was so strange the first quarter. The fans were dead silent. Both teams were sluggish and didn't look like they wanted to be there. It was a very strange first quarter. But then a basketball game broke out and it became a good game. And um, but it was I will say that that's one of those things watching it that I don't think I'll ever forget watching that. There are moments in sports uh, that you'll see and so it doesn't always have to do with death. I mean, sometimes it has to do with a retirement and you'll see people give a speech and you'll see them talk to the crowd. For me, Derek Jeter talking to the crowd after his retirement right before, or right before his retirement was is one that I'll never forget. I cried like a baby on that one. Um, but I will never forget this one. And I was not a Kobe guy. I mean, I liked him. He was fun to watch, but I was not a super fan or anything. I was not a fan like you were. Uh, I was not a Laker fan. Uh, hell, I missed half his career because I stopped watching the NBA in the early 2000s. So I, I just, I didn't watch a lot of NBA when I was in, in the middle of my life. So I, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't the same, but I still had a huge effect from it. And I will certainly remember that moment. It was, watching it was, it. It, was t- it was tough to watch, you know, at points just because, Again, it's still so fresh and still like it, it's still really hard to believe. Like, damn, Kobe Bryant's gone. Like, right? Like, that's that's really not retired, not whatever. Man, he's gone. He's passed on. And so it, it was crazy to to actually see that. But you're right that the fans were just that's the house that Kobe built, you know. And it, it's he's got five championships there. You know, the it's it's one of those things. Like, it's it's really tough for a lot of people to come and and. and know that that you'll never see that face again you never see that smile he and his daughter courtside anymore i think that was really tough for a lot of fans especially being the first i'm not sure about how many things went on in staples center prior to that week but for that to be the first sporting event back in 
you know, Staples, I, I know, had to have been really emotional. But you got to tip your hat to, you know, all the guys playing. LeBron for being such a such a leader. And not just a leader for his team, but a, a, the leader for the NBA. Like, you, it's obvious to know who's, who's the guy because he and Kobe's relationship was really strong. The one thing we're not saying is Carmelo. Incredibly close to Kobe. He did Couldn't not play, play that game. Yeah. Couldn't even go. Like, I don't want to be a part of that. Going to Kobe's very, very good friends was like, I just – I can't do that. Trevor Ariza, we forget, is a great friend of Kobe's. You know, somebody who was on that 2009 championship team with the Lakers and, you know, somebody Kobe was was very vocal about the Lakers getting rid of. So, man, there's just a lot of of pulls there, a lot of ties. But the one thing that made it all okay was that dude, Damian Lillard, man. I was going to say the I had the thought going into the game. I'm like, I don't know how these teams are going to play. I don't know where the Lakers heads are going to be at. It's their first game. It's their first time dealing with this. But the one thing I said, I went, I know Damian Lillard is going to play like Kobe Bryant because Damian Lillard already plays like Kobe Bryant and uh, he's going to honor him even more. And I mean, that third quarter against the Lakers was just something spectacular. Brilliant. And it. It's it's part of a larger group of games now. I mean, I, I got the stat up in front of me. He is the first player in NBA history to average better than 45 points and 10 assists over a six-game span. First ever to do that. Um, he is now fourth on the list of most points over a six-game span, or I guess tied for third with Kobe Bryant mm-hmm. and James Harden as the other two. Um, he also is the – I don't have this stat in front of me, but he's the only one who's uh, hit – six plus threes in like six straight games and his percent his percentages his efficiency is insane he's killing he's not he's these aren't bad shots 52 percent from the floor and like 59 percent from three and the comparison for when harden because harden's done these stretches before where he goes for like 50 40 50 40 50 harden shoots like 30 percent from three and 40 percent from the floor in these games he gets a lot of his points from the free throw line um so to me, that's what Lillard's doing is even more impressive because he's just hitting everything. No, and either double teaming him, and in the past when he would get double teamed, the offense would grind to a halt. But either now, he well, he's got better shooters on the floor with him, or they have a better offensive system to get away from the double teams. I mean, the Lakers in the fourth quarter on Friday, they sold out hard and just doubled him across the half court line, and then Gary Trent hit a couple of threes, and it's like, oh, cool, you got guys who can shoot now. But I mean, I don't. I, I don't know what else to say about Lillard other than holy bleep. Every time you watch him play, it's just a freaking machine no, out there. And and I actually got a chance to go last night. And well, lucky, lucky you, man. I got a chance to see him up close and personal. And this dude is playing at a different level. I've been to so many Blazer games, and I've seen Damian Lillard play so many times since his rookie year. He, I think, he's gotten to a point to where he honestly feels like I am the best point guard in the league. There's, I think he looks at the, the his matchups every night and go, yep, I'm going to win this. I'm going to win this. You know, even – and I think it drives Westbrook crazy because he knows it. And Westbrook knows that he just can't do anything. Now, he can go off for 40 or whatever, but you're going to lose, bro. And, like, playoffs let you know that, Westbrook, you can't – you're not on Dame's level. You're a freak athlete, but you're not the basketball player that Damian Lillard is. And I think there's only a couple guys coming up right now from that point guard position. And Trey Young, who we talked about uh, a little bit earlier, of course – when Steph Curry comes back, you know, he's going to be right back in that mix. Luka Doncic and uh, the list is short. Well, you know Steph, what I mean? he's, you know what I'm hurt, he's hurt. But he's hurt, but Steph. when, he, when, he, when yeah. Steph comes back again, when you can shoot like that, you're a threat. You know, when you're the, the greatest shooter that we've ever seen, you're an absolute, you know, threat. So, yeah, a, a John Morant 
you know, uh, the, the list is incredibly. Well, let's like, not put him there yet. Okay. No, I'm saying no, I'm, like I'm, I'm talking months. about guys that are that are coming. As, as I'm th- thinking of the great point guards right now, I'm like, yeah, Yakimba, you know. But uh, but of all those guys, man, who would you take first? Damian Lillard probably. Yep. Luca because of the size, and I think a lot of people would well, kind the of triple double machine. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think a lot of people would go uh, toward Luca, but you're. You're looking end of the game. You need somebody with ice water in their veins. That Mamba mentality. Amen. Name another point guard better than Damian Lillard right now. I don't know if you can. It's almost to the point, and I, I know that this is stupid because logically all great runs will come to an end, but it feels like he's going to score 40 or 50 every single night right now. And it's almost to the point where I expect it. And I'm going, I'm sitting here going, well, at some point he's going to get a little bit cold, right? I mean, because he, he is like flamethrower surface of the sun hot right now he's not missing i mean in the game yesterday against the jazz by the way back to back traveling because they were in la back to portland utah did not play the day before and they absolutely smoked him because damian lillard played the way he did um it's it's like he was he was doing the little like almost getting fouled three where he's trying to draw the call where he's off balance and it looks like a terrible shot and he's just draining him and they're not even calling the foul he's just he's getting slightly pushed and he's just perfect swish draining him every single time it's insane and you can tell like that's that's a good bad shot you know what I mean like it he goes up and Paul George is a bad shot right amen it's uh, listen like that's something and I understand what Paul George meant because it's not something that as a coach you would draw up. You would never want your best player taking a 40-foot three-pointer to win the game. You know, that's not that's not the shot that ideally you want, right? You want something closer to the rim, an easier three-point shot. So he was he wasn't wrong, but for somebody like Dame, Steph only makes bad shots. Like you look at a lot of st- shots Steph Curry makes, there you would never advise your player to ever take that shot. Clay makes Great shots. Every shot Clay takes is, man, on time, perfect form, everything. Steph just looks like he gets it and just throws it up sometime. Splash. Nothing you can say about that. Nothing you can do about that. But Dame, there's still like this level of patience. Like he breaks through that double team, you know, and splits the double team and then kind of goes and just kind of hangs in the air, waits for a foul, kind of look, looks like he has time to like look, or, look around and just lets it go on on target every time splash i saw him do it like three times last night like this dude he is is unreal he is getting to the point now where no matter where he is on the floor he is a threat obviously he's always been a threat from three he's his finishing i mean it's improved every year for the last few his finishing now is impeccable i mean he is either side of the basket get, you know pushing the defender to the wrong side just so he has the better angle getting the right burst uh, he's got the little mid-range fadeaway jumper that seems to go in every single time now I mean, no matter where he is, he's got a shot. That 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 mid-range fadeaway shot is, I think, his his new one from this year and last year, where he gets to the point, does a little quick spin fadeaway, boop, mm-hmm. and you're like, that doesn't look like a great shot. Even oh, sometime right around the baseline, just kind of turn around, yep. like boop. Okay, see, he's again, he's he's con- gotten to the point where no matter where he is on the floor, no matter what kind of shot he has to take, no matter what he has to do to help the team win, he can do it, which is just phenomenal to watch. And we just got a text here on the uh, Better You Today text line saying, man. Yes, he's making players around him better. That's the thing. Like, all of a sudden, man, guys like Gary Trent are knocking down open three-point shots and becoming a, a viable heart to this team. You know, All of so, a sudden, Hassan Whiteside's actually playing with some heart. What do, you, what do you know? And when he does, like, he's hard to stop. He has that little ugly turn flip shot that just happens it to go awful, in. It looks awful, but it goes it's, in. But it, but it goes in. And then when you have a guy that can get you easily 20 rebounds a night if they're dedicated and if they're, like – you add that with Nurkic, and, and it was funny. I'm, I'm looking. I was close enough to the bench to where I can see all the guys, and I'm like, man, Blazers are missing half their team right now. 
like there's Collins, there's Nurkic, there's Rodney Hood, there's uh, uh, Scalavici. It's like the whole team is sitting over there. Like, and there's in this position to where Wenyan Gabriel, who yeah, who's, Wenyan who's Gabriel started against the Lakers. Who is this and guy? Played good on defense too. And so, but I, I think as as guys start to get healthier and get back, you know, on their feet and get back on the floor, this Blazers team is going to be good. And so, I don't know if you want to consider this year a wash because they're only two and a half games out right now. Uh, I think well, if Dean keeps playing like this, they're going to make the playoffs. And, yeah, yeah. and you can make any argument for what I I will still say. This has been a ton of fun, but I will still say that I'm pro in this situation tank because I think for them in the long run, it makes you better. But I can't in good faith say that after watching last night's game that I did not have a ton of fun watching him just destroy the jazz. No, you know? it, it was it was it, awesome. To it see. reminded you of when they were good last year and playing against the good teams because the teams they've been beating are good. That's the thing. They beat Indiana, good. They beat Houston, good. They beat the Lakers, the best team in the West. And they just beat uh, the Jazz, who have always given the Blazers issues with their defense. I mean, so they're winning against good teams, too. It gives you hope, which is good. I just wish they didn't put themselves in this this much of a hole well, in I the mean, first place. The, the good thing is there's still a, a lot of basketball to be played. There's still, a, I mean... It's February. You know, the season's going to be over in April. There's not you know? a ton left. There's a there's an all star break trade coming up next week. So, yeah, there's an all star break coming up. Blazers ain't gonna trade, make no trades. I mean, oh, they got they got a reason. I think a reason is something you've been looking for, and I've been I, saying it for I, lo- a long time. You need a wing that can shoot and can defend. Man, Bazemore wasn't the uh, wasn't the answer. Aminu wasn't the answer. Harkless was the answer some nights, depending on what it was. You know what I mean? But you need some guy. Trevor Ariza is proven, and we know this well, for sure. I'm very curious what they do with Hassan Whiteside because when they got him, all the talk was, well, they'll trade him before the deadline because it's a tradable contract, but he's been playing really well. When is Nurkic going to come back? If, if they trade Whiteside and don't have Nurkic ready, then they're going to be playing with no bigs. And that's like, if you actually are making the push, which it seems like they are, then they're not going to trade Whiteside, which is, I don't, I don't know how to feel anymore. I'm my, my opinions have all been confused by Damian Lillard these last five games. Because I was so staunchly like, I know Whiteside puts up good stats, but look at what you can get for him. And now I'm like, I don't know. Just, just do what you're going to do. Yeah, I'm looking forward to possibly a, a Twin Tower situation with Whiteside and, and Nurk, at least for a little bit of the season. That'd, That'd be, be weird. Fun. All right. Uh, let's let's get into football as this is the, the football Sunday show after all. The Super Bowl is today. The super big game. Uh, let's start next with all the chatter we can find before we get into a hater to love it at 1030. This is... Football Sunday, here is Jesse with SportsCenter. Weekend sports with a difference. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. 936 here on Football Sunday. As we dive into the Super Bowl, fan text line is 55305. Niners Chiefs coming up 330 on Fox today. I want to talk a little bit about the game. I want to get into the halftime show coming up this year, as I think uh, men everywhere are quite excited. Uh, we found out who's making the Hall of Fame this year yesterday. We got the awards that came out yesterday. There's a lot of NFL to actually get to. I'm very thankful they, they brought that out yesterday so that we had more than just the game to break down. Because to be honest with you, when you've got two weeks to think about a game and talk about a game, it gets a little bit dry after a while. But uh, I do want to start with this as a broad topic of discussion. And that is, it is once again, the classic defense versus offense in the Super Bowl. And nine times out of 10 in these situations, who wins? 
Defense. Defense. However, the game is changing. We did see in college, where defense also almost always wins, the offense won for once with LSU beating Clemson in the national championship game. And I think we're starting to see maybe a little bit of a change in that it might become more common for the offense to be able to beat the defense in these kind of scenarios because the offense has just become so, so good. Um, it helps that you have a elite quarterback that does it all. Legs, arm, ability to audible, change play, progression reading, all that, and Patrick Mahomes. It, it helps that you have the fastest guy in the league in Tyreek Hill and probably the second fastest guy in the league in Nicole Hardman. Um, it helps that you have one of the the two, three best tight ends in the league in Travis Kelsey. Um, you don't have a great running back. You don't have a great defense, although it's played pretty well at the end of the year. But I think it helps that you have all those things. But I think we're seeing more and more with these teams that are really good on offense that they, they're they not just one thing. They have so many routes that they can kill you that they they have a much better chance than they used to at winning these kind of games. And I think that's I'm curious to see how this game goes because I'm starting to feel that way, but I'm not 100 percent sold on that as a thought are is the Niners defense, which is the best in the NFL by far and is fully healthy. And in the last two weeks has been an absolute unstoppable juggernaut. Can they do it again against a Chiefs team that seems to score at will? I don't know. I, I that's that's the that's the million dollar question, you know, and I think that's why this game is, is so intriguing. It, it kind of reminds me of uh, the Broncos. Um think it was the Seahawks Super Bowl that we had a few years ago you know you're looking at the best offense going against the the best defense right statistically slaughter yeah statistically the best offense and and what happened I mean I don't have to tell ask you guys what happened we saw a defense that just absolutely came to play and and uh, Seattle fumbled snap return for a touchdown and then an offense who just looked out of sorts you know you look at the Patriots versus the Giants the first time and again the the best defense the best uh, offense against a defense who just all of a sudden started showing that, yeah, we're really, really, really good. And they were playing hot coming into that Super Bowl. And then that defense only that oh. held that New England team to 17 pa- points. Patriots Rams last year, right? The Rams Patriots were the Rams. talk of the town. I mean, all the things I just said about Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, I said something similar about the Rams. Like, I think we're here. I think it's time. And the Patriots came out and changed their defensive system completely. It fooled the Rams and they got three points. Yeah. Three. And, and, uh, I mean, although the Patriots only scored. What ten it points or seventeen? It was like 10 seven or thirteen or yeah, something. 13, yeah, 13, 13, 3 or 13, something like three. that. That's yeah. What it was, so yeah. I mean, not the not the most fun Super Bowl to watch. I mean, it was great for me. Like, no, it, was, I'm, it was the most boring I, game. Of I, time. I was glad. You know, I was happy about the it game. It was still but, boring. To you. But again, like I mean, it's it's one of those things. Like that's what we don't hope we don't see today. It's thirteen three again. Like and I you know we want to hang a lot of um, give a lot of credit to the offense, but you know defense has to come to play and I'm that's what I want to see from Kansas City today are you guys going to be able to stop some of these really good offensive players from from San Francisco we I think we talk so much about the defense in San Francisco we forget that man Tevin Coleman is a is in, in the playoffs so far he's a top five running back mm, you know at he the hasn't moment. really played it's been most no no yeah but and then, Mo- and then Raheem Mostert, the yeah you know so they've at least got two guys that can make Something happened from that position. You talked about George Kittle, who you believe could be. I think an MVP. Kittle's the best tight end in the uh, in the league. I'd still lean on Travis Kelsey, but I I I think Kittle is one of those guys. It's that's, close. Yeah. yeah, I think I think it's a it's an argument that can be made. It's not like Gronkowski versus whoever, like where it was a huge gap between the next person. Like that's a that's a legit argument made between Kittle and Travis Kelsey. But I'm, I don't know. I'm I'm looking at a t- two teams that both. Play differently, you know. Obviously, man, 
they're going to try to light it up in Kansas City. They're going to try to score every single time. Deep passes. Mahomes is going to do some trickery and stuff like that. And then it looks like you have a really kind of disciplined offense on the other end that's not going to take a whole lot of chances. But then when you're not paying attention, oh, there goes Garoppolo, and he just made a huge play with his arm or made a huge play with his legs or something like that. So I think this is going to be an interesting game because, again, it's best offense versus best defense. And I think the offense can do this, but that defense for San Francisco is just so I, solid. I, I am – as much as I would like the offense to break through that that glass ceiling, I, I, to me it's the defense. I'm, I'm picking the Niners in this game straight up to win um, because of the defense. The last two weeks have changed my mind. I've been on the fence about the Niners most of the year. I knew that they were really good early in the season. They looked dominant. They held teams to single-digit points multiple times. And then they stopped doing that. And some of it had to do with them having some injuries. But I remember watching the, I want to say it was a Thursday night game against the Cardinals. And I remember the Cardinals scored a bunch of points in that game. And it was like, oh, okay. So the Niners, the Niners won. But it wasn't like, oh, the Niners defense isn't perfect, right? They can give up points. And then they went on a stretch where they started giving up points in a lot of those games. And I was, I was on the fence. You know, I don't love Jimmy Garoppolo as a quarterback. Uh, I, I've been pretty vocal about that. I think he's you fine. Hate Garoppolo. He's average. Uh, I don't think he's special. Um, so I, I don't love him as a quarterback. O- outside of Kittle, I don't love their skill position players. But that defense is so good, I don't know if it's going to matter. Worst quarterbacks have won Super Bowls because the defense helped them. Uh, and I, I say worst quarterbacks. But like I, like I said, I don't think Garoppolo's bad. I just don't think he's great. Um I think he's a total middle of the pack, middle of the pack quarterback. And when you have a great defense, that quarterback can win a Super Bowl for you for sure. Um, but it's also going to be up to him not to make those silly mistakes that he tends to make. There'll be there'll be once or twice a game where he tries to fit a throw into a window that doesn't exist, and it's like a 10, 15 yard pass, and he throws it right to the defense. We saw it against the Vikings. Um, we, we've seen it multiple times this season where he's just it doesn't have the right read yet he's got some mitch trubisky in him yeah well you know, little kirk there's, cousins there's a little bit early of early kirk cousins i mean it's it exists i mean he's got time to, to work past that obviously it's just right now i don't love garoppolo so i'm worried about that aspect of it but that defense to me is just insanity and i know that they haven't had to face an offense in the playoffs yet that is like the chiefs i mean the chiefs are granted they've been down twice they've gone down early and they've come back as if it was nothing that texans game it was like down what was it 24 7 what 20 what 24 point lead yeah it's like and it's gone (laughs) the south park meme and it's gone and you know they were down 17 7 of the titans and they came back like it was nothing and they were able to stop uh derrick henry too which nobody had been able to do so there part of me is is curious if this defense which has looked so good once everybody got healthy and it's clearly the best defense in the league is going to be able to stop mahomes and I think it will. After watching them, I've got the belief that they'll be able to do it. They won't be able to stop him, stop him, but enough that they'll be able to win the game. Uh, there, there's something about Garoppolo that I I understand what people, like, like the analysis of him, he, he, and he's not the type of quarterback that, that puts a team on his back, but when when you look at since he's been a 49er, I mean, I, you could just take this back to to New England. All the guy has done is win. Like when, when he... When he, before his ACL tear, he won in San Francisco, you know, like it, he's winning this year. And, and the one thing that I'll say about this year is, is he did have to fight through adversity of uh, through in the beginning of the season. Um, you're looking at Kittle, who was dealing with some, uh, some severe 
injuries. He was playing as as I as I recall on like a broken ankle that wasn't going to get any worse. It just it was a pain management thing. You're, you're talking about a guy that had to acclimate at getting uh, Emmanuel Sanders in the middle of the season. You're talking about a guy who at the end of the year, your number one wide receiver is a rookie. And so the weapons that have been around him and what he's actually been able to do with those weapons and the adversity that he has overcome this season to get his team into the Super Bowl, I'm going to go ahead and say that that what he reminds me of is Eli Manning, a a guy that you you look at the stats, man, they're not sexy. You're like, oh, man, this guy, why would he be uh, a guy you even consider in the Hall of Fame? And then you look at what he actually does on the field that you can't quantify. It's it's that that in in the clutch, in the big moments when – you know the 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 defensive line is coming and they're trying and you make the play and I th- I think that's the one thing that Garoppolo I don't know I'm not gonna say he learned it from Brady or he got it from there but you know I think being around Brady for for that long you know you're able to learn when to step up he had this one beautiful pass in the last game where it looked like he was gonna sack and he stepped up and made a, a, a I think it was on third down stepped up and made a beautiful throw what do you know man keeps the drive alive and and, and there you go and I I think that's the genius of Garoppolo I, I'm kind of with you in that Jesse is. He's not somebody that you're going to look at and say, man, he's going to set the world on fire. This is the one that's going to come out there. But he can have those games where he goes off for 300 yards to 400 yards. But for the most part, he is a game manager. And I think that's I think that's okay. You you say, Eli, Jesse, I I said it already. But to me, he's Kirk Cousins. He is uh, potentially explosive. He can win you a game with his arm. He can throw for 400 yards or he is a game manager and he makes some mistakes and he's a little bit sloppy with the ball and. Uh, you know, just, that's Kirk just Cousins, who he reminds me of. Kirk you know? Cousins has like one big win in his career. Jimmy Garoppolo already has like five times that in his career as far as big wins compared to what Kirk Cousins well, has. Of course, uh, and it, it's, it, it depends it, on the team around you. Of course, I'm just talking purely as when I watch him play. That's what I'm reminded of. And 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 sure, sure, you can say that he has that similar. But the thing is, is that he wins where Kirk Cousins doesn't. Where where he does not fold in the big moments the way Kirk Cousins does. And that's where I'm saying Eli Manning, he rises to those moments, right? Like who he 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 takes a wild card team, a nine win wild card team, and he he beats the one team since 1972 that has a chance to to knock off the Miami Dolphins undefeated team. Like, like you're, you're talking about a guy that's clutch and that's, that's what I'm talking about. Like on the field. Sure. Maybe he looks like Kirk cousins, but what, what the, what I'm talking about is his stats don't look sexy, but what he does is he does not crumble in big moments. And that's, I think that's the difference. I think between a a game manager that just kind of has to manage the game and a guy that can rise above and make plays. And once again, I we're just kind of seeing a guy that is just now getting acclimated to Kyle Shanahan in that system and, and playing a full year in it and having some kind of weapons. Like, like this is just the start of what he is as opposed to, we know what Kirk cousins is. Um, and, and I just, I look at this. He's a guy that he, he completed 69% of his passes this year at 27 to 13 nice. touchdown to interception ratio, which the 13 interceptions a little much, but uh, that could, that's easily... part of me talking. Sometimes he makes that wacky decision where you're like, what are you doing? Yes. 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 So those, those could come down, but at the same time, that's also something that Eli Manning did. Right. But Eli Manning at, at also in the big moments didn't throw those picks. So that's the difference. Kirk Cousins throws those picks at the big moments where Eli threw picks, but he didn't throw them in the biggest moments. Let's take a break. 
Uh, I will be curious to see if Garoppolo, this is the biggest game. This is the biggest stage. We'll see We'll see what he does uh, today against the Chiefs defense that has been quite good in the last six or seven weeks, end of the regular season and in the playoffs. But one trend that is becoming more normal and that these two teams are, I believe, one and two in the NFL with, and I'm going to double-check in the break because I had the stat before, all of a sudden the teams with the fastest average speed are the best teams. Hmm. And when you think about it, what do you think about with the Chiefs offense? Speed. Mm -hmm. What do you think about with the Niners offense? Small guys that are fast. Debo Samuel and Emmanuel Sanders and guys like that. Is this the next big thing that everyone's going to try and copy? Let's get fast. That's next. This is Football Sunday on the fan. Weekend sports with a difference. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. Speed kills now in the NFL. Yeah, it's pretty important. This is the stat that I had. This is uh, earlier in the playoffs. It was Daniel Jeremiah tweeted this. Highest average max speed is ball carrier on offensive plays this season, including the playoffs. Number one, Kansas City Chiefs, 13.36 miles per hour. Number two, the Niners, 13.35 miles per hour. Mm. Then Rams, Vikings, Ravens were the others in the top three. Um, four of those five were in the playoffs. Rams, we can, you know, they had a bad year this year, but one of the best offenses in the NFL, right? All of a sudden, the prototype of small, super fast guy is becoming uh, maybe not more important, but is is becoming more explosive on offense and teams are figuring out ways to use them to the point where four of those five teams made it into the playoffs and were regarded as really good offensive teams. And like when you look at the when you look at the 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 Chiefs receivers, right? Ignore Kelsey. I know he counts as a receiver, tight end, running back. He does it all. But ignore him because he's technically a tight end. They don't have a big bodied Calvin Johnson like receiver. No. Right? The closest they have to that is Sammy Watkins, but even he is much more slight than a guy that used to be the prototypical number one. Their number one is Tyreek Hill, who is just a freaking race car that just runs down the field and gets behind the defense every single time. You've got Hardman. You've got Robinson, guys that are really fast as well. Um, I mean, the Niners, again, take Kittle out of it. They don't really have that prototypical number one receiver. Manuel Sanders, Debo Samuel, et cetera. It's, it's guys who are fast and quick and get into space as well and are in the middle of the field well. And, of course, you, you can't say – you can't ignore Kittle and Kelsey. They're very important to the offense. I don't think an offense without that kind of a player uh, when you're only going speed would would be bad, right? It would be bad because you wouldn't have the counter. But it's just interesting that now all of a sudden – even running back. The running back position is becoming oftentimes with these teams smaller and more slight, right? Raheem Mostert? The fourth string guy of all is all of a sudden like running for 200 yards in a playoff game. What? Yeah. Who's that? He's yeah. fast, a little bit smaller. Um, you know, with the Chiefs, who are they using? Right? They kind of got a bunch of guys, but you know, Damian Williams, he's fairly small. It's it's going the way Tariq of the Hill smaller, faster guy. Yeah, Tariq Hill, another guy who's he's not tiny. Yeah. He's not a big guy, but no, yeah, I think you're right, and I think one of the things it's interesting that you know we when you talk about the two two of the those five offenses. 
is that, man, two of those five teams have an MVP and have a guy that, man, force you to bring additional defenders to him. Like, Mahomes is so good and can do so many things, like, with the ball, just with as far as just no-look passes or just stand on a dime and throw a 70-yard dart. You know, he can he can really do that. So And his ability to escape and make some things happen, I think you, you got to bring an additional linebacker. You have to make uh, some, some uh, safety kind of make sure he doesn't – somebody doesn't get behind you and, and beat you. And I think – Having him there kind of forces defenses to, man, we have to look at this dude because if we make a mistake, everything. And then what do you know? Tariq Hill, wide open. And when Tariq Hill is open, he's not like, he's not just catching. He's not Randy Moss in it, right? He's not catching the ball in traffic or, you know, he's like seven, eight yards away from his closest defender. Turn around, take the ball like a punt, turn back around and go without the defender catching it. And I think because a lot of that, and you look at what Lamar Jackson was able to do this year. You know, everybody's so focused on him, so everybody shifts one way, and then what do you know, I'm wide open for, like, that's usually how it's been going. So it's not super surprising that um, those two teams are doing that. What is surprising that San Francisco's second, because the one thing we've been talking about is their offense not being as good as everyone because they don't have the personnel, quote-unquote. But San Francisco tries to score, and they try to score fast. You know, they don't have, like, quick – a lot of – as far as their uh, receiving core, again, outside of Emmanuel Sanders and uh, – who was it? Uh, Debo, Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel. Kendrick Bourne is a big guy. He's not speedy, though. You know, and so you can just kind of throw the ball up to him, and he's so tall that he can make something happen for you. But they're trying to score quickly. And you got – these are guys that are catching the ball on that – on that, uh, excuse me, a slant or – on a little curl, and then they're taking it to the house. They're taking it for an additional 16, 17 yards, and sometimes more than that. So, I mean, it's not super surprising that this is happening. I just look at the Patriots. We kind of talked about this during the break. Man, the bulk of the really successful receivers from the Patriots were all these small, tiny, speedy guys. Yeah, you know? but I don't know if the speed with those guys was the same as what we're seeing now. Well, with Wes Welker, that was a, the uh, the big thing. That was his, uh, his strong point, was the fact that he was a, a, a speedy, Little dude, man, Danny Amendola, not the not the best receiver, but still quick enough to make things happen. You even see how they use somebody like Danny Woodhead, you know, just like they bring him in there and just man, just make something happen because you're quick in the in the backfield because you got quick feet and stuff like that. We've seen Darren Sproles have a a thirty year NFL career. How long has Darren Sproles been playing? That's long, like forever. He's literally been on, on an NFL team since I was in high school, and he's he's still somebody that can make things happen with his feet because he's small because he's quick. And I just think that might be the way that NFL is going. The great, great thing about football is you can be any size and still be really effective. You know what I'm saying? Like in basketball, most times, unless you're Trey Young, who's six five foot ten, a lot of five ten guys don't have long NBA careers and everything. But you five uh, ten. Muggsy five, Bogues would like to say otherwise. Muggsy, we can we can count them on one hand. Spud you know what Webb. I'm saying? Spud Muggsy, what's my guys play for Dallas for the, for the longest? JJ Barea. You know mm-hmm. the list is relatively short, you know what I'm saying, of those guys that have been just huge impact players at about 5'9 or so. And NFL, you can be 5'9 and be Drew Brees, right? You know what I'm saying? That, that that's, not a, that's not out of the question. So, yeah, it's not shocking me. And if you look at NFL now, even the offensive linemen, they're not as big as they used to be. Like, you see an offensive lineman, it's like, damn, you play you play line? Defensive linemen? It's like, man, you're not as big as I would have imagined, at least well, as far as what we're – they're well, not that, Tony Saragusa anymore. That, that's what my point was going to be, is I think we're going to see more and more of this because the college game changed so much, and the NFL fought it for a while, and now the NFL's not fighting it anymore. The NFL's saying, okay, well, the offensive linemen are smaller, so we got to run our offense around the fact that the offensive linemen are going to be a little bit smaller and quicker. Uh, 
a lot of schools that have really good offenses use speed and and smaller guys as part of those offenses mm-hmm. and they're good players and they're going to the NFL and finally the NFL maybe not 100% across the board but they're they're finding coaches like Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan who uh are are, are not keeping their head stuck in the sand and are deciding to use those to their advantage. So uh, it's fun to watch. It makes it really, really exciting. And you get a lot more big plays, which is good for uh, points and fans and viewership. At uh, Absolutely. All right, coming up next hour, we got Hate It or Love It, Hate it, or love it at 1030. I want to talk a little bit about the halftime show coming up in the Super Bowl. Also, maybe uh, are we hoping for some better commercials this year? Uh, but we'll get to a little bit of the coaching matchup next between Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan. This is Football Sunday on The Fan. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 